All right, so we're, uh, we're currently preaching through the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, but uh, since we're dedicating a bunch of kids this morning, we're going to have a one-off sermon about parenting. It's going to be a little shorter than usual, so you can give a round of applause for that, too. So, so uh, for those of you who are... No, um, for those of you who are single, or if you're an empty nester, or if you don't have kids, uh, this sermon is not just for parents. This is for you as well. That's because, like I mentioned in the, de- in dedica- the dedication, um, if you are part of the River City community, you play an important role in the disciple-making process for the kids here at River City, regardless of whether you are a parent or not. So, for example, so Josh and Allie were up here. Um, they were in our small group for the last couple of years uh, before they had kids. And over the last two years, they've genuinely taken in, an interest in my three daughters, like in our small group, and just really gotten to know them just as real people. And my daughters really enjoy them. So Jeff and Betty Cuter, um, uh, they're empty nesters and like, uh, yeah, they're here at River City. So we used to live next door to them and they've been in our small group and they've always strived to talk to our daughters and get to know them. And even since they were really little, like they've been really kind and generous towards my daughters and just in getting to know them. So Liz Straub, when she was single in our small group, um, she would talk to our daughters all the time at small group and ask questions and joke around with them. And Liz didn't treat them like, bonus short people that just happened to be at their small group or whatever. Like, she treated them as, like, fully just as part of, like, um, just, like, real people to get to know. So when Liz, um, or Dawson's, Dawson Nemers, who's also a single guy in his 20, engineer John Deere, so he's in the Birchart small group, and Steph Birchart also, uh, she also often says that, like, Dawson will come to small group, and he will talk to Ruby and Juju, her four- and two-year-old, and just, like, he'll talk to them just like normal people, and they just love talking to Dawson. And, um, yeah, and he's just a single engineer at Deer, and... Um, and those, and those people I just mentioned, they may not think that what they're doing means a lot, but as a parent, it does, because among other reasons, it shows our kids that the local church is a safe and good place to be known. But in, the, but in a big picture sense, it also helps point our kids to the greater reality that safety and being fully known is ultimately found in Jesus. That's the greater reality. So this sermon about parenting... Um, This isn't just for parents, it's for all of us, because the local church is intended to be a community where the gospel is lived out together in community and not just siloed isolation where, like, we just religiously go through the motions with each other. So we all play a role in helping our kids know Jesus. So part of the goal of this sermon is to help uh, give us just a bit of, like, unified direction, um, just a glimpse of that, just in how we understand parenting in light of the gospel um, just in this community. And if you're visiting from out of town, um, um, my hope is that like this sermon like, will just give you a glimpse of how your grandkids or your nieces or nephews are being raised so that you can come alongside them in good, health, good and healthy ways as well. So with that in mind, uh, so we're going to be uh, looking at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Um, and from it, we're going to see three things. Uh, first thing, we're going to see that like our parenting shouldn't be child-centered. Our parenting shouldn't be parent-centered, but it should be God-centered. Those are the three things that we're going to jump on and take away from that. So, so Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. So it'll be up on the screen, and I'll read it right now. So verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So let's start out with the first thing that I mentioned, that our, parents shouldn't, our parenting shouldn't be child-centered. Our parenting shouldn't be child-centered. So verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is every parent's favorite verse. This is what we want to go down to Crow's Nest and get this tattooed like on our kids' arms so they can meditate on it day and night. For, so who are the children in this passage? So based on verse 4, this is talking about children that are still in the home and under your authority. So this isn't talking about adult children. So if you're 20 and you don't live at home, this is not talking about you. So, and speaking of authority, with that word, authority is often seen as a bad word in our culture, often for good reason too, because so, it just gets misused so much. But, so when the Bible talks about authority, it's talking about the responsibility given by God to someone to create an environment for those under your authority so they can be flourishing. And the upshot of that is, if the people under your authority aren't flourishing, then you're probably not using your authority well. So this passage says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. So according to this passage, children are under your authority as parents. According to this passage, a gospel-centered home is not a child-centered home. And according to this passage, you should expect your kids to obey. You should expect your kids to obey. Now, some people think that the main reason why you should exercise your God-given authority as parents and expect your kids to obey is just so that you can function in life. And in a lot of ways, that is true. Because if you don't like set boundaries, set expectations, expect them to obey, enforce consistent consequences, appropriately discipline, if you don't do those things, how are you supposed to go to the grocery store? How are you supposed to go to Rusty Taco? Like, how are you supposed to have them go to school or any kind of peer setting? How are you supposed to go to a friend's house? Like, if you don't expect your kids to obey, it's just plain hard to function in life. Like, you don't need to be a Christian to realize that. That's just pragmatic, getting through life kind of stuff. But from a Christian perspective, there's an additional deeper reason why parents should expect their kids to obey. It's because if we want, because we want our kids to learn that it's good to be under authority and that it's safe to be under authority and it's desirable to be under authority. And when I say that, I'm not talking about like uh, teaching our kids to be mindless drones who get taken advantage of by people. Of course, I'm not talking about that. Because here's the deal. If exercising your authority is loving and wise and consistent, it teaches them that it's good and healthy to not be the king of their own lives. And on a pragmatic level, like that won't prepare your kids for wider social interaction, but most importantly from a Christian perspective, it won't prepare them to meet the real king of the universe. Because if our kids don't learn to submit to our authority, like how are they ever going to learn to submit to God's authority? So I have a chart that helps, helps explain this. Everybody loves a chart on Sunday morning. That's why you came here on Sunday morning. Thanks for coming. So, so this is something that we go over in the parenting seminar often. So, so, so the premise of this chart here is that um, every time your kid disobeys, they are asking two questions. And they don't realize that they're asking two questions, but they are always asking two questions. And those are, am I loved and can I get my way? So for example, let's talk about fictional little Jimmy. So little Jimmy uh, is your son, and little Jimmy asks you, can I watch a TV show right now? 
And you say, no, but you can watch one after lunch. So the boundary has been set and the expectation has been set. But little Jimmy, he's in the gifted and talented program. He knows where the Netflix button is on the remote. So he takes the remote and he pushes the Netflix button and says, no, I want to watch. He pushes the Netflix button. Genius. Now, little Jimmy doesn't realize it, but little Jimmy's asking two questions. He's asking, am I loved and can I get my way? And the way that you consistently respond as a parent in those kind of situations, it's what's going to determine which category little Jimmy is going to fall into on this chart. So let's start at the bottom right. So little Jimmy says, no, I want to watch. So if you respond, you watch that stupid TV all the time. How dare you talk to me like that, little Jimmy, you horrible kid. I've had enough of you. And then you snatch the, TV, the remote out of little Jimmy's hand and you turn off the TV. So what's being communicated to little Jimmy is that little Jimmy is not loved and he can't get his way. And if that's what characterizes your response as a parent, then over time what you're creating is a wounded child. And from a Christian perspective, whether you realize it or not, you are preaching a sermon to little Jimmy about who God is. Like you have a pulpit right there in the living room right there, and you are preaching a sermon to little Jimmy. And like what you're, the sermon that you're preaching about who God is is that God is a temperamental boss who lords his authority over you, and he doesn't care about you, and he doesn't love you. Let's go to the bottom left. So little Jimmy says, no, I want to watch. And if you respond with, you watch that TV, stupid TV all the time. Fine, watch it because I've had it with you. And then you storm off in frustration and little Jimmy gets to watch his show. Now what's being communicated to little Jimmy in that moment is that little Jimmy is not loved, but little Jimmy can get his way. And if that's what characterizes your response over time, then what you're creating over time is a bully. And from a Christian perspective, again, whether you realize it or not, you're preaching a sermon to little Jimmy about who God is. And in that sermon, what you're telling him is that God is cool with you being the king of your own life, but he doesn't love you. Let's go to the top left. The little Jimmy again says, no, I want to watch. And if you respond with, little Jimmy, we need to use kind words, sweetheart. Just this one time you can watch, okay, sweetheart. Just remember, mommy loves you. And then little Jimmy gets to watch his show. What's being communicated to little Jimmy is that little Jimmy is loved, but little Jimmy can get his way. And if that's what characterizes your response over time, then what you're creating over time is a spoiled brat. And from a Christian perspective, whether you realize it or not, you are preaching a sermon to little Jimmy about who God is. And what you're telling him about who God is is that God is so excited about you. He's so excited about you being the king of your own life. And the main reason God exists is to serve you and be all about you and to orbit his whole world around you and not the other way around. Let's go to the top right. So little Jimmy says, no, I want to watch. So if you respond in a calm voice, 
No, mommy said that you can watch after lunch. Then you take the remote out of little Jimmy's hand, you turn off the TV, then you put little Jimmy in timeout because he was sassy with his words and disobeyed. And then when little Jimmy gets out of timeout, he's required to apologize to mom, regardless of whether he means it, because you got to learn the motion before you learn the motivation. And then mom forgives little Jimmy, and then there's a restoring of the relationship. And even if that happens in a disjointed kind of way, like what's, what's being communicated in that to little Jimmy is that little Jimmy is loved, but little Jimmy's not in charge. And if that's what characterizes your response over time, then what you're creating is a well-adjusted and emotionally healthy child. And if, more importantly, from a Christian perspective, and again, you're preaching a sermon to little Jimmy in that situation about who God is. And what you're telling little Jimmy in that moment is that little Jimmy is not the king of his own life. Like, God is meant to be the king of his life. And being under God's authority is good and safe and desirable. And in the midst of being under God's authority, little Jimmy is deeply loved by God. Like, parenting your kid for that, that top-right quadrant there, that'll get you through life. Like, that'll get you to the Olive Garden if you want to go. <laughs> but more importantly, from a Christian perspective, like, it prepares them to understand who God is and how to respond to him through the gospel. Like, parenting towards that quadrant, like, that's part of what it means to parent in light of the gospel. And that's kind of the culture of and trajectory of, like, how we want to lovingly and graciously encourage kids here at River City towards. So I hope you see in that chart, like, parenting that's shaped by the gospel, it's not child-centered. And it's not parent-centered either. So speaking of, speaking of which, it's like, our parents, second point, like, our parenting shouldn't be parent-centered. Verse Back to the passage, verse 2. Verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in, on the earth. So when we're under our parents' authority, we're called to obey them. But when we leave their authority, we're called to, to honor them. So it doesn't mean that you're, when you obey them when you're 30 and you have your own, you have your own family. Like, you need to follow God and create your own rhythms and structures for like, following Jesus as, as a family unit right there. You just have to do that in a way that's like, respectful and honoring. And, like, and if, you have like a, um, if you have adult children, it's just like, God is also calling you to just like, to let, them, um, let them honor you in that way. And like, they aren't called to obey you. Like, we all know what it was like to, like, hear, like, uns unsolicited advice from our parents and everything. So it's like, and, yeah, and God's calling you to, like, have that kind of healthy relationship with your adult kids as well. Yeah, and we're called to do that in a respectful and honoring way to our parents. And when it says, like, which is the first commandment with a promise in the passage, that's just referring to the fact that honor your father and mother was the first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 that actually had a promise attached to it. Because from a general principle perspective, if you honor your parents, life is probably going to go better for you, if you than if you don't. It's just a practical truism of life. Verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. So uh, what does it mean to be exasperated? So think about the worst supervisor you've ever had and how you felt. Okay. That's what it means to be exasperated. All right. So... 
So fathers here can be translated fathers or parents. That's why in the NIV translation, there's a translation note at the bottom of the page that could mean parents. So if it means fathers, uh, that could mean that could mean um, it could mean fathers because it could be that men sometimes have the tendency to be harsh with the rules in a kind of a caveman kind of way. Like I don't think I'm like being controversial and saying that. So. Um, however, it could mean parents because we know that moms can do that as much as dads. Like, I don't think I'm breaking any news when I say that. So, so either way, like, I would argue that the, the root of exasperating your children is having a parenting philosophy that is in one way or another rooted in being parent-centered. Because we exasperate our kids when we correct and discipline and talk to our kids out of an overflow of our own self-centered motives. We just want it quiet. We just want it, all the talking to stop. We want it to be peaceful. I, don't, I want to have escapist tendencies right now. I just want to do my own thing. I don't feel like being a parent right now. Um, yeah, those are parent-centered centered motives. And, like, and we've all been there. There's grace for us all in that. Like, the people that I have had to apologize the most to in my life are my own daughters. And... Um, one of the reasons I apologize to them, I've had to apologize a lot to them, is because I need to apologize. But the culture you create is more important than what you do. And the culture that I want to create in our family is that dad needs grace as much as they do. And I don't want to have a culture of exasperating my kids. Parenting that's shaped by the gospel, it's not child-centered, it's not parent-centered, but it is God-centered. Verse 4, fathers don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, I would see that, say that uh, in verse 1, that's arguing, for a ch- arguing against a child-centered home. The first part of verse 4 is arguing against being a parent-centered home. The second half of verse 4 seems to be arguing for a God-centered home. Parenting is not ultimately about you. Parenting is not ultimately about your kids either. Um, Parenting is ultimately about God. So the way we make our parenting about God, first and foremost, is about fixing our eyes on the gospel and our identity. And what do I mean by that? So I realize, like, Ephesians chapter 6, we are just parachuting into the middle of a book in in this passage here. But... Um, the book of Ephesians is all about gospel and identity, if you ever read that, and I would encourage you to read that on your own. Um, it just answers the question like over and over again, who am I? So like the gospel, it's, Ephesians is all about like the gospel and identity. So the, the gospel, that is the meta-narrative, that is the big picture of the entire Bible. If you miss that, that's like going to the eye doctor and you can just read all the nitpicky print and everything, but you just miss the big E on the eye chart. You just miss the E on the eye chart. That's like missing the gospel. It's like the big story in the whole Bible. So God made us to be in a relationship with him. We sin against him, which fractures our relationship and standing with him. But Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. He died the death that you were supposed to die. And so when we put our simple but life-altering faith in Jesus and what he's done for us, we're reconciled to God and given a completely new identity. And our new identity is that we are God's children. We belong to him. Your identity is fundamentally about who are you. And the gospel says that you are his child through faith in him. That's the most important thing about you. That's like the basement level foundational kind of stuff that 
changes your entire life from there. And when it comes to parenting, there are a million practical things that I could talk about in terms of like bringing your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord, which we do not have time to talk about this morning. Um, But one thing that I can confidently say from Ephesians is that if you want to bring your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord in a God-centered way, then you should authentically follow Jesus for yourself and follow your identity in Christ. Find your identity in Christ. Because like, when you follow Jesus and find your identity in Christ, that's, that authentically, on a heart level, changes your heart, it changes your mind, it changes how you think and how you feel and how you relate like, I'm all about the tips and tricks of parenting, and there are plenty out there. But they, we know that, like, way more in parenting is caught rather than taught. And authentically following Jesus in your heart and living a non-compartmentalized life of faith and your kids seeing that, that's what truly lays the foundation for bringing your, bringing your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a fellow small group attender here at River City, the call of the gospel is to authentically follow Jesus and to find your identity in him and to let the kids see that. So the path to that kind of parenting is always through remembering and following Jesus. And remembering Jesus That's why we take communion on a regular basis, on a weekly basis here at River City. So remembering Jesus is all about reminding our hearts and our minds about what he's done for us and who he says we are through faith in him. And communion is a symbolic act of remembering Jesus together. The bread symbolizes his body, the juice symbolizes his blood, and those things were broken and shed sacrificially, lovingly for you. He lived the perfect life that you were supposed to live. He died the death that you were supposed to die. But through faith in him, we're not just forgiven, and that's great news that we're forgiven, but in addition to being forgiven, like we are permanently adopted into his family. So if Jesus is your forgiver and leader this morning, um, we invite you to take communion with us. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd encourage you to hold off on taking communion because uh, this isn't meant to be a religious act of like going through the motions and that kind of thing. Um, but if you decide to put your faith in Jesus and you want to find your identity in him, then I'd encourage you to pray on your own, like talk on a heart level and pray to him like on your own and about those kind of things. Like surrender to him on a heart level and then go and take communion. That's the invitation this morning. So the worship team is going to be playing about three songs, um, depending on how much time I gave them at the end here. So, but there's two communion stations in the back. You just go back and you, uh, you take the bread, you dip it in the juice, and you take it that way. So you can go back like whenever you feel like you're ready any time during those three songs. So, um, and again, you don't need to be a member here to take communion. You just only need to belong to Jesus through faith in him. Let's pray. So God, we're really thankful for you and just who you say we are, and thank you for, you didn't have to forgive us, you didn't have to take the initiative to us towards us, thank you for loving us, thank you for directing your grace towards us, thank you for adopting us into your family through faith, um, yeah, and we just pray that for the 
the culture of um, parenting and just parenting as a community, God, for just like, um, regardless of whether people are parents in this room or just like single or empty nesters or whatever, God, we just ask you that um, you'll empower us to just create that kind of culture here at River City. So, yeah, and that's ultimately because of you and for you, um, and we can't strategize our way into that, God. So we're thankful we can't because ultimately you get the credit for it then. So thank you and we love you. Amen.